Uh, are we doing a cold open? Or are we gonna... We could do your thing if you want. <laughs> I'm gonna get my vape for full special effects. You got a vape, you got several blunts. What's going on over there? You got some pre-rolls in your backpack from Maverick? Two minutes later. It was right beside me the whole time. Let's begin. Just like the Lord. staring at you through the podcast <laughs> that's what you wanted um dude i don't uh, man how do i drive this thing god <laughs> There's so much dust everywhere. I, I feel like the next thing I'm supposed to say is welcome to One Hit Wonders of the World. Uh, I'm Maxed and Stenstrom. You forgot the part where we start every single episode by saying the episode number. Oh, yeah. In this I'm instance, telling you, there's dust all episode over this 14. thing. Episode 14? Jesus, episode we're already 14. That, that many episodes deep in just two and three fourths years a, a baker's dozen and then a couple yeah I think. i'm trevor wow. ickrath though your faithful co-host trevor ickrath what what pray tell year is it it's 2020 why unfortunately i'm just I, hey, I, i'm just curious future generations may look back on this podcast and be like what year was it they were recording this in and we were obliged to answer it's 2020 maybe uh you know is it a legendarily bad year, or is it just another year, Trevor? Are you doing, is this your attempt at some kind of, like, like talk show host monologue thing? Hey! I'm picturing you right now, like, in, in front of in front of a TV audience with, like, a kind of an ill-fitting suit on, like, tugging you, at it and going, like, hey, so what's up with this? 2020, huh? I mean, has anybody, <laughs> maybe we should try, maybe we should try turning the year off and turning it back on again, right? <laughs> Yeah, great. You, you, you're even better at this than I am. That's fantastic. I think you would make a great talk show host, though. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, coronavirus. You, you seen it? Have you heard about it? This is our first episode since the big C happened. I've been watching a lot of movies. I don't know. Well, the virus has killed both of your both of your parents, which is why the episode has taken so long. You had to sort all that out. <laughs> yeah, two funerals. Uh, you know, and then uh, of course the coronavirus killed both of my parents. <laughs> Right, and then I had to fly out to your funerals too, and just you know. we've been really busy, so we haven't been able to do an episode yet. But hey, we're back, and I wanted to ask you, Maxton. Please ask away. S- since we haven't spoken to each other once since we recorded the last episode, no, because because we, we're actually like the MythBusters in real life. We're just enemies. Right. We only ever talk to each other while recording this program. Of course. Other than that, it's like zero communication. I wanted to ask you. This, Radio since, silence. Since it's been so long, how have you been feeling? How are you feeling? You know, everyone's getting sick. How are you feeling? Uh, you know what? I'm pretty thankful. I don't know about you, but I haven't I haven't been sick. I haven't gotten really sick at all. You know? So uh, you're not, you're not sick, so no, you're feeling pretty not. well? Well, <laughs> uh, 
I am on a Zoloft prescription, so I mean, how well can you be with that stuff going on over and over? So you're not sick, but you're not well. Sounds like you're in the perfect condition to talk about Flagpole Sitta by Harvey Danger. Harvey Danger, episode 14. We're back. We're here. We're doing it. You're on a team. It's time. Harvey Danger. It's the 90s. Seattle. What are you going to do? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put on some flannel and start a grunge band, baby. Boy. Jesus. Let's take it back uh, to the old school. Let's take it back to uh, the 90s. But but before that, let's take it back to... Real uh, 90s kids now, you know? Are you a real 90s kid, Trevor? I think you are, aren't you? I'm absolutely a real 90s kid. I was born in 1990, so I was there for the whole... uh, The decade started when I did, although technically eight months earlier. So you would have been six when this song came uh, released in 1996. Yeah, I would have been six years old. Any memories of hearing this on your uh, local New Jersey radio stations? No, I have very few memories of my childhood. I don't often think back on or reflect upon it. That on purpose? Um, uh, I, I just can't really say when the first time I heard this song was. I just love one sure. of those ones that I feel like has always been around. And I, it pro- probably was like times and times that I'd listened to it before I even figured like found out what the name was like I had no idea it was called the flagpole Sitta. yeah me neither I just agree with you because I also you know just like you know like I can't it's just it's so hazy it's so back there in the in the in the recesses of my mind though I do remember uh being really surprised whenever I watched peep show for the first time and I was like oh wait it's that song that song that they paid those guys? Good for them getting a little paycheck every time I watch Peep Show. Good for them. They deserve that two cents. I've never seen Peep Show. I'm familiar with Good like jokes show. from it via the internet. But right. I did recently learn, like in the days preceding this recording, that this song was used as the theme song. Which strikes me like a little a little like weird. Like Why? that's like a British comedy, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it like, is. It's so yes. weird thinking about a British comedy opening up with like an alternative 90s rock song from a band from Seattle. I don't know why it feels so fitting to me. I don't maybe know wh- I, I've never seen the show, so maybe it's like super appropriate. I'm just telling you, like, the, those two things don't necessarily go together for me. Yeah, I don't know. It, it feels like uh, there's an anarchic spirit, maybe, that kind of goes hand in hand with the song. Um, but that's, that's probably about the only tie between the two I could draw. Evidently, the song was in the movie American Pie, but I had never seen that movie when I was a kid. It was a little before my time. I've also never seen American Pie. I associate it with like the kind of teenagers I like hated hanging out with as a as like a kid myself. Eugene Levy's in those movies though, and he's a funny guy. It's true, but I don't, you know, I don't even think it has a three on Letterbox. So real pleb shit. But you like this song. You're you're a fan of Flagpole Setta by Harvey Danger? I yeah, I love this song. Uh part of the alt rock Millie that's uh, you know, permanently ingrained in my head. Right beside uh No Rain. This song and No Rain are so near the other one in like my my subconscious that I kept thinking about 
no rain whenever we were like starting to do this episode and i would have to remind myself like no we already did that episode, that episode i'm glad happened. you brought up no rain though because i've also been thinking about no, no rain and blind melon a lot in the days preceding this episode because i think uh flagpole Sita is almost like the opposite side of the same coin oh. as no rain like no rain is a song about like wandering through life and like enjoying boredom and not freaking out about anything sure. and complacency and this song is about like freaking out about everything and like it's full of these like dramatically apocalyptic personal images and passages <laughs> yeah and it's it, like it, really over the top and anxious and dramatic and like yeah really really dramatic like like no rain is a song about like watching the rain and like reading a book to fall asleep Flagpole Sitta is a song about like getting committed to an insane asylum and having both of your legs amputated. And like, it, I feel like there's like a difference between the two like guys who or groups who recorded it as well. Yeah. One being like, they, they don't quite match the song they put out because like, yeah. No Rain is a very chill song by a crazy guy, <laughs> Shannon Hoon. We, we yeah. all remember him. Rest in peace, Shannon. Flagpole Sitta, on the other hand, is like this really anxious like crazy piece by like these dudes who like from what i've read just seem like normal well-adjusted guys i wonder how interesting this episode's gonna be or maybe it won't be we'll see we'll see uh but you know i think uh maybe the one thing that we could all use in this turbulent hellish you know pre-election post uh you know hell year uh landscape is just a really chill reflection back at you know the 90s man let's just think about the 90s for a second let's go 25 years back for any any of us had these damn phones you know all we had was graffiti you know they're called smartphones but i, I feel like they're making us dumb <laughs> you said it man listen Oh, also, I did. I did just want to mention this um, to close the Shannon Hoon circle. This was not out whenever we made our episode on it, but a biopic about Shannon Hoon using some of his home footage, and he has a directorial credit on it, is now out, and it's called "All I Can Say." So, if you're looking for some more Shannon Hoon action. You have a full 90 minutes that he himself directed, now available wherever movies are sold. I think there are a couple members of some audiences of Blind Melon shows in the 90s who would say they had more Shannon Hoon action than they could handle. Jeez. But yeah, I heard about that documentary. I do want to watch it. Maybe we should do an episode on it at some point. Who knows? Might be, we'll might see. Might be pretty cool. Uh, One Hit Wonders of the World Cinematic Universe. Let's get back to Harvey Danger. Yeah, let's get back to Harvey Danger and let's go to the genesis of Harvey Danger, the inception of Harvey Danger. Young Harvey was born to Mr. and Mrs. Danger in 1992 <laughs> at the University of Washington. And the, sure. the Mr. and Mrs. Danger in question were classmates Jeff Lynn and Aaron Huffman. Now, I heard that they actually like were really just deeply moved and have a really crazy story about how the band started. Is that true? Actually, next and according to the notes that I have in front of me, apparently they decided that, quote, it might be fun to start a band. Really now? Yeah, so they were they were these two student journalists on the staff of the Daily of the University of Washington student newspaper, and they took the name Harvey Danger from a phrase graffitied onto the wall of the newspaper's office. Nice. So that's somebody's tag then. You know about tagging? Yeah, got turned got stolen for a band name. You got to watch out. If you're tagging stuff, 
make sure it doesn't sound like a good band name because someone could just take it. Or was it two tags that were like really close to each other? Like the dude who tags Harvey on everything, like just came along and was like, yo, this danger tag is sick. I'm going to tag right on top of it. And then the next thing you know, bam. That would be a fun project to have as a personal tagger to go and just kind of like appropriate other tags into your own phrase (laughs) sure sure tag it's like tag sampling anyway so those guys played some house parties as a duo as you do until 1993 when they invited this guy evan salt to be their drummer uh despite him not having any drumming experience allegedly a good drummer is hard to find trevor well, we could talk about whether we think Evan Salt is a good drummer because I'm actually like a fan of his performance on the song. I think like his drums are one of the best things about it, especially that snare intro that opens it up. Despite his complete lack of drumming experience. So that's very interesting. He's like a total, you know, just like learn by, you know, trial by fire kind of dude. The four of them together played their first show on April 21st. 1994, just one day late, guys, just one day late, at the now-defunct Lake Union Pub. Salt and Nelson, both under 21, were only permitted entry during the set. That summer, the band moved into Nelson's student house together and began holding band practices in the basement. Why are you reading it like that? It's always how I read the notes. I guess, but you're putting emphasis on weird words. Who cares if it was in a basement? <laughs> so yeah they but how much money did they have they barely had any money uh oh shit apparently their drum set at this early phase consisted of nothing more than a laundry bucket three hubcaps and a <laughs> jar of pickles which i mean you can't play a jar of pickles too hard or else it's gonna shatter right you know I've heard of do-it-yourself but this is just ridiculous what one household object would you give to this early version of Harvey Danger to add to their makeshift drum kit. What I would do is I would be like, y'all, the trash people haven't come up for a few weeks. My recycling is overflowing. I'm sure if you dig around in there, you will find something resonant. Those guys played more shows at the Lake Union Pub and other low-rent Seattle clubs. Low-rent? I guess. Which uh, led to exposure in the Seattle Times, which is where they first started picking up buzz, I guess. Probably a pretty low-rent newspaper. They got a little better at recording songs. Then in 1994, they produced a six-song demo tape, which they sold to shows for $3, which is a nice deal. I don't know how what that translates to like 90s money, but... It had a picture of um, dry ice in a sink on the cover, and it looks pretty cool. Very arty. Yeah. In 1996, three quarters of the group lost their jobs, uh, and they decided to devote more attention to the band, which involved them moving to another house and renting a rehearsal space uh, and improving their live shows. Uh, They actually even became a regular weekend performer at the famous Crocodile Cafe in Seattle. Good friends of the show, Death Cab for Cutie, used to perform at the Crocodile Cafe. Really? We're going to intersect with some some other Death Cab stuff uh, later on. Ben Gibbard might have gone to one of those early Harvey Danger shows. Definitely a possibility Ben Gibbard could have heard the phrase, Hey everybody, welcome back to week 34 of Harvey Danger at the Crocodile Cafe. <laughs> Glad you're back. And then the band recorded a three-track demo tape with producer John Goodmanson. John 
a good man's son, which failed to draw attention from major labels, but found its way to Greg Glover, a London records intern who ran his small label, the Arena Rock Recording Company. Glover expressed interest in releasing a seven-inch single. On the strength of that, Glover agreed to bankroll a full-length album. You gotta stop reading the notes like this. It's, it's unbearable. Absolutely not. Welcome to 2020, Maxton, baby. I hate it. New year, new me, new jersey. It's interminable. Deal with it. Terminus. Let's, let's talk about what went right, I guess. Welcome to what went right, mother. Do you want to read the song facts blurb about uh, what this song is about? Sure. Is this? Do you have a source for it? Like, is this just a song facts user? Did somebody from the band say this? I'm actually I'm actually looking this up right now. I think Song Facts, the website, may have written this. Gotcha. Oh, anyway. No, yeah, it's a it's a yeah, it's a it's just a dude. Okay. We're gonna we're not gonna read that. It's just well, I, I wanna read it. What's what's his username? Oh, okay. We're gonna read it? Okay. All right. So this is You a, found it important enough to put in the notes. So what's his username? I, uh, so this is this is from uh, user Jake from Ambler, Pennsylvania. Okay. Thanks, Jake. Song facts user Jake ambler pennsylvania he says this song is about how our society can drive people crazy and the effects of what happens when you are driven crazy it's like black mirror it's also about masturbation <laughs> trevor is that true i there's definitely a masturbation joke in it where it's when he says uh fingertips of memories mine can't forget the curves oh. of your body and when i feel a bit naughty i run it up the flagpole and see oh that's salutes, the title lyric but no one ever does oh i've never understood that until right now the lyrics are very clever they're like my favorite thing about the song they're very sardonic and self-deprecating frequently they're good good set of lyrics boys no, it's 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 a fun song to sing along to. Just and I think that that's part of what makes it so good. Just like the ability, you know, the the kind of like joy that comes from screaming the phrase "Now I'm an amputee, goddamn you!" at the top of your lungs with other people. They tapped into the power of that. I always like singing. I want to publish zines. <laughs> yeah, that one's good. Yeah, that one's <laughs> one of my really favorite good. lyrics in yeah, it. That one's great. Sean Nelson, though, really, really good singer. I mean, I don't know, like, I don't know if he's technically a good singer, but he gives a great vocal performance on this, uh, yeah, on this song. It's got a lot of like, how do I put this? Like, he's almost like a cartoon character. It's got like a lot of like dimensionality. It's got a lot of character. It's got a lot yeah. of character. Yeah, it's got a lot of character. So next, the band recorded their debut album, "Where Have All the Merrymakers Gone," over three different sessions with producer John Goodmanson. At John and Stu's place in Seattle. It was nice of Stu to let him do that. Apparently, the total cost of the album was about three thousand dollars. You know, here's the thing. What I mean, I'm not going to spend more than a minute on this. Music industry accounting is like about as clandestine as as movie accounting, but it's like it's so wild how something that was made for zero dollars and something that was made for three thousand dollars and then something that was made for like fifty thousand dollars like at different points in time you can't even really tell the difference i, I feel like i can't really contribute to this conversation because i don't know like what 
like if three thousand dollars to record an album is a lot i'm just not familiar like with these numbers Especially no not really nice. like i'm just you know just like I'm, but how much is like a, how much is a lot to record an album well, you know, my bloody Valentine almost bankrupted their record label Creation Records in the. How early much money 90s. would that have been, though? I think you, I I looked this up once. It was like two hundred thousand dollars. Okay, so quite a lot more than three thousand dollars. Yeah, no. I mean, if they if they they were what selling those cassettes for three dollars a piece, if they sold like a thousand cassettes, they could record an album. That's the budget right now. Guys, we moved a thousand of these tapes. We quit dubbing the next thousand. We gotta go press the vinyl. We gotta go in the studio. Okay, time for the studio. And uh, Flagpole Sitter was recorded during the 1996 sessions for Where Have All the Merry Makers Gone. According to drummer Evan Salt, the song was written as a response to the Seattle music scene of the 1990s and its effect on mainstream culture. Oh, sorry, 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 Evan, but according to our good friend Jake or at Songvax, this song is actually about how our society can drive people crazy and the effects of what happens when you're driven crazy. You know, dude, like Black Mirror. It's also about masturbation. Right. Also like Black Mirror. You keep saying Black Mirror, but my first thought upon hearing this song is about how our society can drive people crazy, I just think Joker. <laughs> sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they, 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 you know, they kind of converge in different ways. There's a Venn diagram there. We do be living in a society, though. Yeah. <laughs> Every day. Have you, have you listened to this album? Where have all the merrymakers gone? No, I haven't. Did you did you give it a shot? I've listened to this album in the past after hearing like Flagpole Sitta and one day finally deciding, hey, I like that song. I wonder what the rest of the album is like. I've listened to it a couple times in my life. A young Trevor Ickrath, a spry Trevor Ickrath. A, a younger this. Trevor Ickrath. Okay, okay. It's actually like really good and solid all the way through. Like it's just like, they're like a good indie rock like seattle based indie rock band that happened to have like a successful song actually i i wanted to like uh i thought it would be fun to play like the second single from this album too because it's like probably my other favorite uh song on the album oh cool why don't we do that yeah do you want to listen to private helicopter i would love to listen to private helicopter let's give that a listen real quick Pretty in that and Flagpole Sitter, I think, are pretty indicative of the whole album. They kind of keep up that like mischievous, like snarky tone throughout the whole record, and it works pretty well. I think that one feels a little more of its time than um, than Flagpole Sitter does, but maybe that's just my nostalgia talking. I did think it was a pretty good song, though. I like that one a lot. I'm a big fan of Wooly Muffler. 
I like old hat. A lot of lot of cuts on that album worth checking out. Uh, really quick, do you want to say anything about the Seattle music scene of the 1990s and where it probably was around 1996? I mean, what do you got going on? Pearl Jam, Nirvana. Uh, yeah, I mean, grunge was really big, and right. I think this like this song sounds like a band who maybe wouldn't have fit in with the grunge scene. Sure, uh, and. Do you how, do you think they do you think that there is a bitterness about that or do you think that they're trying to be playful about it or like through the song what do you think that their take on the Seattle music scene of the nineties is I think like I made it sounds like they feel like they're like a little like maybe a little too smart for it sure like if I if I'm like trying to attribute anything like negative to it. Uh, but really, I think they kind of take their like outsider status and stride, and it's cool that they were able to turn it into like something that was so successful for them. I agree. It's got a, and I think it's it's the outsiderness of it helps make it as unique and as memorable as it is and has been. Uh, and I, you know, I think it's a good uh, recipe in the cocktail of the success of the song. Um, Do you want to talk about anything that possibly might have influenced the song's title? Because it's a weird title, right? You would never think that this song was called Flagpole Setta. Yeah, I've never never heard of a flagpole. It does have that one reference to flagpoles in the lyrics, but they don't talk about sitting on them. No, not really. Evidently, it was inspired by a 1930 Marx Brother film, Animal Crackers. Marx Brothers, those were the guys who were in Devo, right? No, no, no. Those were the guys that made the airplanes. You lost me there. I'm cutting that out. That was supposed to be the right <laughs> Okay. Uh, the Marx Brothers film Animal Crackers, which features a line of dialogue about the pole-sitting fad of the 1920s. Trevor, what is pole-sitting? You went up on poles and sat on them, right? The practice of sitting on top of a pole for extended lengths of time generally I, I used got it. as Nailed a test it. of endurance. A small platform is typically placed at the top of the pole for the sitter. Doesn't that feel like cheating? That feels like cheating. You gotta put a it up bit. your butt. You gotta put yeah, it up your I butt, you, dude. I feel like you kind of gotta put it up your butt. If you're not putting it up your butt, I don't know why you're getting up there. Just, just anyway. Saying. They were the 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 spelling of the song, uh, sitter spelled as S I T T A, was allegedly inspired by the Pavement song Fame Thrower and the <laughs> N W A album Straight Out of Compton. Flagpole said it was released as a single in July 1997, and it gained popularity after Sean Nelson gave a copy of the album to a KNDD DJ. Nice. Say that five times fast. The influential radio station K-Rock, which we're all fans of here, <laughs> uh, picked the track up, and stations across the country shortly followed suit. RV Danger. They were subsequently signed to Slash Records, which I can only Slash. imagine is run by the guitarist <laughs> from Guns N' Roses. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, me and too. Flagpole Sitta made it to uh, uh, the Billboard magazine's Top 40. Made it. Before appearing in a number of songs and television shows, including, like we mentioned earlier, American Pie. Although it wasn't on the official retail soundtrack, oddly enough. Why leave that one off there? They peaked at number 38 on the Hot 100 Airplay charts, which for the purposes of this episode, it's going to be the Hot 100. From there, uh, things started to go wrong. Let's talk about what went wrong. Things weren't wrong. That was pretty quick. Yeah, it's, that was pretty quick. You know, uh, 15 minutes of fame, more like five seconds of fame. So I guess in... 1997, the band felt like the record was losing momentum, and they even contemplated breaking up. Uh, they wanted to release the song Carlotta Valdez 
uh, which is the opener from the album, and is, is quite good as the next single, but Slash Records told them that they had to release Private Helicopter instead, Wait. which, you know, I, I agree with you there, Slash. Hang on. As early as 1997, however, the band felt as though the record had lost its momentum. The single wasn't even released until July 1997. How are you trying to break up the band before the album comes out? Give me a break. Y'all got nothing to be mad at. Of course there's no momentum because y'all don't have an album out. Be patient. This is like this is like when people are like, why am I not famous already? They, they, but these guys didn't even put a single out before they were like, why am I not famous already? We're like, you know, what's another reason you want to break up a band before an album comes out? I don't know, man. So they were like, hey, Slash, we want to release Carlotta Valdez. Slash was like, no, we're putting out Private Helicopter. And they did. And it didn't really get too much attention. And it certainly didn't reach the Billboard music chart. Slux. In December 1998, they decided to just cut their losses and start writing the next album. Time for LP2. Sophomore slump time? Or... Let's, let's hope not. I haven't listened to this one, I, I must admit. But they began writing and recording and producing it uh, in March 1999 at Albert Grossman's Bearsville Studio near Woodstock, New York. There's your problem right there. Uh, the last producer we had uh, was a good man's son, and uh, this guy, this guy's a gross man. He does, he does live in Bearsville, though. <laughs> At least a lot of bears. He lives near Woodstock. I guess. Bearsville's near Woodstock. That's what they tell me. So, Slash, <laughs> what's the other? London? What's London? Uh, the other record label. What what other record label? You know, the labels. Okay. London Records. So the band's record labels, of which I guess they had two now? Yeah, No, they had London Records, because uh, Greg Glover was an intern from London Records. They expressed interest in releasing a seven-inch single and bankrolled a full-length album, remember? I did not remember that. Anyway. Uh, it's okay. We forgive you. Let's just start over uh, from Everything? you saying, yeah. <laughs> everything <laughs> yeah i mean they should have stuck with that good man son i mean that's what i would do if i were in charge but i'm not so the band's labels were allegedly not very involved in this recording process uh which many saw as a harbinger of things to come but after three weeks of recording at bearsville and several more weeks of recording and mixing in seattle and los angeles the band submitted their finished second record king james version to their <laughs> label that's a really good name for an album by a band like yeah, this, I want to say. King James Version. Like, like, you know, the classic version of the Bible. I haven't heard of that, Trevor. Tell me more. So they submitted the album. They waited. And at this point, something that the band refers to as elaborate corporate reshuffling began. A.K.A. Record Label Fuckery. You know it. You love it. It's always here. It never goes away. Mergers and acquisitions among record labels were going on. Uh, and it left them and their record in limbo for like over a year. They like didn't even know who they were signed to or when KJV would be released. Attempts to release the album on the fledgling indie label Barsic Records. Here's our second uh, overlap with Death Cab for Cutie. Uh, also on this legendary Seattle label. That's true. After that fell through due to legal complications, and just when the band was about to give up, knife to the throat, newly reorganized London slash Sire Records released King James Version on September 12th, 
2000. So it slashes out of the picture? Yeah, I think we cut. I think we just slash, slash. He packed up his guitar and left. Just threw him out on the road. So the reviews for the album were strong. Strong reviews. Very, they can lift weights. The buzz, though, was almost non-existent, or so I hear. So we got critical acclaim. The critics loved it. The critics are loving it, but the streets, the streets are not buying it, man. The streets aren't having. buying it. Sales of the album were slow, and the single, Sad Sweetheart of the Rodeo, uh, didn't perform too well on radio or MTV. Let's listen to this one, though. I've never heard Sad Sweetheart of the Rodeo. Me neither. I want to hear it. Yeah, you want to give it a listen? I want to hear it. Play it. I'm going to play it for you right now. Play it. Can you hear it? All right. No. Can you hear it now? No. How about now? Yes. I wasn't expecting all this organ. Oh shit. First impression is that that's like a pretty good song by Dude, this band. Dude, my first impression is that is maybe as good as Flagpole Sitter. That's my. I first think it's impression. definitely lacking something universal and powerful right. that Flagpole no, Sitter yes. has. Yes. Okay. But as far as oh, it's another good single by the band who made Flagpole Sitter. You know, box checked, right? Yes, but here's the thing: bands like the band who made Flagpole Sitter, I feel like they don't often have like big hits flagpole said it almost seems like a like it, it's kind of like a fluke for this version of band i feel like yeah like even at this period in like 1996 i'm surprised that this song was as big as it was like this song feels like a song that would be received well by their fan base as like a follow-up single but it doesn't feel like something that would make it onto the radio what do you how do you think you fix the harvey danger problem because like I mean, like you said, it does kind of feel a little fluky almost. Like, were they just kind of doomed from the start where they're like, all right, we're just going to have to do what we know how to do and come what may, basically? I think this is a band that never should have been preoccupied with the level of mainstream success that it reached. Like, I don't see this band as, like, a failure in any way, really. If anything, like, a band like this getting a single on, like, the top on, like, Billboard or whatever... That feels like them achieving like extra credit. That's not even like the thing that they're aiming for. What do you think they're aiming for, though? Then just being like a moderately popular, like I don't know if this is what they're aiming for, but I feel like this is like the trajectory usually of bands like this. Being like a a band that like gets played frequently on like alternative rock stations and stuff like that, and being a band that like people who listen to like alternative and indie rock like. 
Yeah, I mean, like, people who would listen to the music in the Seattle indie music scene. They're clearly not writing, like, pop songs. No. But there's just something about Flagpole Sitter that, like, people picked up on and that it tapped into that allowed it to burst through that barrier and, like, achieve that mainstream success. Do you want to spend a minute trying to pontificate on what that might be, especially having heard the follow-up now and understanding what isn't there? I think it's something about the way it speaks to, like, the inner soul of everyone that is, like, tortured in a very dramatic way. And people who, like, you know, it's very enjoyable to, like, play the martyr. Yeah, sure. Totally. And this is a song that kind of allows people to do that for, like, four minutes or so. But in, like, a humorous, self-deprecating way. Yeah, it's like... I feel all this paranoia. I feel all this anxiousness. I feel all of this dread. But at the same time, I'm able to joke my way through it. Yeah. And like give you these funny lyrics that express it in a way that you can enjoy. Yeah. I'm going to make sure the song mentions both amputees and making zines. Both boxes need to be checked. I'm going to do like a little winky reference to Rage Against the Machine. Like it's just a fun time. Whereas this is like, you know, first impressions, like it kind of reminds me of the Devo thing from the last episode where they're like doubling down on it a little bit where they're like, yeah, this is what we sound. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it feels consistent with their previous work. And it doesn't feel like it's like now is the big pop crossover hit time. It's like, no, we're going to make another like weird, like mid tempo word salady woo woo catchy song you know sure got some wordless vocals towards the chorus stuff like that they like their wordless vocals there's stuff like that all over the first album too the boys are pretty discouraged by the lack of response to that song and that album and they ended up playing a final quote-unquote final show in portland on april 21st 2001 guys you missed it again they did but it was you know to their credit it was seven years to the day after their first show sure sure, uh, sure. and then after that they quietly disbanded for an undetermined period they just you know shook hands and walked off into the night went home watched 9-11 happen did some other stuff and then you know it's time for what came next the afterness what came next was the year 2004 after 2002 and 2003 at least. But in 2004, uh, Nelson, Huffman, and Lynn went back into the studio together for the first time in three years to record two new song ideas with Not A Surf's Ira Elliott accompanying on drums. So Evan, Evan Salt, he's not back. Yeah, bye Evan, but hello another one-hit wonder band. Uh, is it? I think popular is another one-hit wonder. Let me check myself before I make an ass of myself. Why don't you check yourself before you wreck yourself? I will do that. Two minutes later. Okay, all right. I checked myself, and I indeed was about to wreck myself. So, uh, you know, every, everyone just make sure you check yourself. This was Don't uh, get guys, wrecked. Don't get wrecked. Not a serve, not a one-hit wonder by my categorizations. That should be the catchphrase of the show. Don't get wrecked. Don't get wrecked. One-hit wonders of the world. One-hit wonders of the world. Don't get wrecked. Don't get wrecked. Don't get wrecked. Anyway, 2004. Nelson Huffman Lim. They go into the studio with this guy from Not A Surf playing drums. What happened to Evan? I don't know. Apparently he was busy in Chicago doing stuff. <laughs> Couldn't make it back for the band reunion. But he did uh, He did send his blessing for Harvey Danger's reincarnation. <laughs> so thanks, Evan. It's a real shame, though, because Evan's performance is one of my favorite things about Flagpole Setter. The drums yeah? rule. Yeah, I I like those drums too a lot. I like that opening fill a lot. I like the I like the rides in the middle. 
Yeah, I uh, I think I think it's you know plays a big part in what makes the song so good. I was very surprised to learn that he had no prior experience. Although apologies to any drummers in the audience, but I often feel like I could like just join a band and play drums. Trevor, Trevor, Trevor you don't understand that. A good drummer is hard to find. Okay, you, you ever heard, you ever read that book? All you, all you have to do is just separate your brain into four different sections and allow each section to control a different limb look is that is that hard for people i'm not a famous writer named flannery o'connor listen okay a listen. good drummer listen. is hard to find listen to this all right okay what uh, uh, uh. that's all you gotta do i can even talk while i'm doing it here i'm gonna do a fill all right Oh, that kind of sucked. I, I, I could just easily, I could, I could easily play drums in an E-band. That's all I'm saying. Bass too, probably. That doesn't seem hard either. Uh, uh, Harvey Danger. Uh, if you need drums, uh, Trevor, hit Give him up. Fucking call. We'll get a Grammy together. It'll be great. Hey, I want a Grammy. I know. Me too. That's why I need to join Harvey Danger and help them pen their great comeback single. Will you share your Grammy with me? We're back on April 21st. And this again? What? Maybe, they, do you think they're just busy on 420? Well, it's the 10th anniversary of Harvey Danger, so we're <laughs> stuck to April 21st now. God uh, damn it. They played their first show since 2001, again at uh, Seattle's Crocodile Cafe. Big crowd, they love it. Diehard fans, longtime message board members <laughs> fly across country to be there. Some of them from as far away as Middletown, New York. Holy shit. Cleveland, Florida. Whoa. And Baltimore. Baltimore. People were like buying plane tickets to go see Harvey Danger play the Crocodile Cafe in Seattle. I heard that someone drove down from Alaska. I'm making a face. That's not in the notes, but I mean, I believe you. Uh, that's, that's not in the notes, but that's like about the, the, the caliber of fan that would have driven down for the 10th anniversary of the Harvey Danger Show. Anyway, here's what I wanted to say. Uh, so the Crocodile Cafe is a, is a cafe that plays rock music? Is that, is it's that a correct? club. It's not an actual cafe. It's like a, it's like a club. So it's a club that plays, that plays, and they have rock shows. They play rock music there, right? Yeah. Crocodile rock. Okay. <laughs> that's that's it. The joke is just that the 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 Elton John title. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. I'm with you. <laughs> I like it. I I put a link to this uh to this this forum here in the notes. Uh, Should I click it? I, I would. Yeah, you can click it. It's 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 one of those web archives. You could you could see how weirdly active this form is this form is no longer up in the world but from this capture from 2013 the first wayback machine capture of the harvey danger fan site thrilling conversations has 27,000 posts people chilling on the harvey danger forum who knew harvey danger had such an active online fan base this must be very similar to the uh community for that hitsune muku character that nick was telling us about sure that got disbanded what kind of relationships do you think were forged on this site do you think these people still talk to each other in some form or the other or is this just dead there was a marriage there had to be had to have been There's too many posts for there not to have been a marriage had to have been so next free of pressure expectations and a major label those are three things that i hate to have <laughs> just rolling that major label right off my back the, the band found itself renewed and rededicated to making music then 
it's still in need of a drummer. A good drummer is hard to find. They recruited Seattle-based drummer Michael Welk, and he helped them formalize their return as a band. And they performed with their new lineup at the Bumbershoot Festival at Seattle in the summer of 2004. The year ended with the self-release of the five-song EP, Sometimes You Have to Work on Christmas, open parentheses, sometimes, close parentheses, and another sold-out show at the Crocodile. Crocodile Rock. Everybody laughed. Is this the only music venue that these people know? For a time, it was the only music venue in Seattle. Is that true? No. Okay. <laughs> Can we listen to Sometimes You Have to Work on Christmas Sometimes? <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Not, I didn't know that these guys had a Christmas song. I wonder if I get to put it in the triumvirate of anti-Christmas Christmas songs, like uh, that Beach House song, I Do Not Care for the Winter Sun. Love that song. All right, here's Sometimes You Have to Work on Christmas Sometimes. apartment in a dull part of Seattle a strand of light suspended oh this by is so been in the drywall tell me you disagree with me the restaurants are closed so are the record shops the banks and bars and bar tell drugs and so's the half price bookstore but the movies are always open Not true And I always have to open This is good, I like it a lot I'm gonna add that to like my annual like, you know, alternative Christmas playlist Yeah, that's not that bad at all actually a Really good one guys, way to go I wish someone had told them about, you know, the poor movies yeah, well, how could we have known all the way back then? Man, can I just say, can we just pour one out in the chat for movies real quick? Movies. Can we get an we, F we... in the chat for movies? <laughs> anyway, I just want to say RIP movies. Sorry about Tenet. You know, we tried. Top three movies of 2020. You got, you got Tenet. <laughs> At number three, you got Birds of Prey or The Fantabulous Adventures of Harley Quinn. At number two. Number one movie in 2020. You got Sonic the Hedgehog, baby. I thought it was going to be Bad Boys for Life. I was really crossing my fingers for Bad Boys for Life there. In February 2005, Harvey Danger uh, went back into the studios, uh, Robert Lang Studios. That is decent Wait, who is that? Why does that name sound really, really, really familiar? Robert Lang. Hold for the Google. Wasn't he the guy who built the first music studio back in 1877? Oh no, he's a dude who does origami. I don't know who this fucking guy is. Move on! So they went to the origami studio to record their third album. <laughs> they brought back Goodman's son back. They learned their lesson from the second time, accompanied by Steve Fisk. I feel like at this point, you build enough rapport with him that you might as well just get the good man at this point. Apparently, the recording was pretty smooth, and they released the record, which they titled Little by Little, dot, dot, dot. the following year in September 13th, 2005. Five years and one day after King James Version. These guys like to stick on a timeline, I guess. Yeah, I mean... They're on it, a schedule or something. It helps. helps get things done. See, like, you know, that's another thing about this band's kind of, like, startling normalcy. Like, they're just like, yeah, we just do things, you know, if we do it once, we're going to try to do it every year again. You know, it's just like, 
got a deadline. You it know. also kind of speaks to the kind of neuroticism that you see on display in Flagpole Sitta, I think. Sure. You know, an occupation with dates and timelines and stuff. So this next part is pretty cool. Uh, apparently, like a week after they put out Little by Little, they leaked it as like a free download via BitTorrent. Nice! Yeah, and they, they it was kind of like a jab at record labels. They said that there's like a long-held sense that the practice now being demonized by the music biz as quote illegal file sharing can be a friend to the independent musician radiohead eat your heart out yeah pretty much do you think like uh do you think like the guys from metallica heard about this and they were just like furious (laughs) this was like shortly after they got on the whole like anti-music piracy drain so the album was downloaded like a hundred thousand times nice the first pressing of the physical copies, uh, which was packaged with a disc of bonus material, nearly sold out. And they got some generally positive but somewhat mixed reviews. Like, for example, Pitchfork Media gave the album a 6.9. Nice! Do you want to listen to a song from this one, though? I've never heard anything from it. Let's give a listen to uh, Cream and Bastards Rise. Was this the single? Cream and Bastards Rise is the second song on the album. And as we all know, most of the times, second or third song on the album, best song on the album. It can happen. Usually happens. Anyway, here is Cream and Bastards Rise by Harvey Danger. That was you, right? Not the song? That was me, good i think i mean if i was like a harvey danger fan waiting a couple years for like new material that i didn't know was going to come out or not i would be pretty satisfied with that as a comeback song gave me devo vibes a little bit actually yeah it did have a bit of that like anxious energy that you get with a good devo song uh, it's it's cool that we're doing both of those episodes back to back i think that there's a uh, more than one parallel I almost want to speculate that if that had been the follow-up single yeah. instead of Sad Girl at the Rodeo, uh-huh. they, maybe they would have been able to make it happen two times. Mm. The world may never know. But what we do know is that uh, a couple years later, on May 28th, 2009, the band announced like another retirement. They said after 15 years, three albums, hundreds of shows, and far more twists and turns than we ever imagined possible... Although I will say, it was two people who just went through their backstory. I feel like we didn't see too many twists and turns. Yeah, dude, this is the chillest episode we've had in, like, some years. Yes, if you count, like, 
hanging it up at one point and picking it back up and yeah. finding some new drummers as twist and turns. Sure, maybe, but we've seen crazier stories. You know, you and I are a little spoiled, though. We've we we do this on a regular basis. We hear about these weirdos making these successful songs and going on journeys. You know, Harvey Danger just didn't. It's it's not like they did a podcast about this, so. Who knows? It's not like every one-hit wonder needs to be a Shannon Hoon, okay? It's nice that we have some Harvey Dangers in the world. And if to them, their story has a lot of twists and turns, maybe a bunch of stuff that we don't know about publicly ourselves, that's all fine, Maybe too. they just kept that close to the vest. Yeah, or maybe there's going to be a crazy tell-all novel in 10 more years. Or what is that? What's that date that they like? April 21st? 2024 is that we're gonna get the harvey danger memoir tell all i don't know but i feel like it's a pretty safe bet that if this band ever does anything again we can expect it to happen on that day (laughs) everyone mark your calendar yeah so after 15 years three albums hundreds of shows far more twists and turns than they ever imagined possible the band decided to put harvey danger to rest they said the decision is totally mutual and utterly amicable which like you know Sounds consistent with these guys. They seem like amicable dudes. R.I.P. They played a final show, or they played eight farewell shows actually in August. Farewell tour. The last three of them in Seattle. I wonder if they. I wonder if they uh, ever got around to playing the Crocodile again. Hmm. I wonder if all three shows were at the Crocodile. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me. They closed uh, these shows with the last song they ever wrote. Their breakup single. A breakup single. The show must not go on. Oh my God, a breakup single. How many times do bands release breakup singles? We gotta listen to it. How many other, can you think of any others off the top of your head before we do? Yes. Um, the dude from Arab Strap, Aiden Moffat, was in a band. <gasps> oh, cool. After that with somebody else that I can't remember what they were called and they released a final single. And it referenced a lot of like classic final scenes in movies. Oh, cool. That's pretty neat. Yeah, you should check it out. You'd enjoy it. Let's see if this one is as good. Here's Harvey Danger with The Show Must Not Go On. sounds like a good note for them to end on and there's something about the fact that they have like a breakup single 
and that like it sounds like that, that kind of makes me want to explore their entire catalog. Me too. By the time I was fading that song out, I was like, I'm a Harvey Danger fan, or I want to yeah, be. Yeah, I'm on board. Way to go, guys. That's really cool. Yeah. Imagine being sold on a band with their breakups. <laughs> Little, little too late. But what a terrible irony that's so appropriate for this band specifically. A little bit, yeah, I like that a lot. So it sounds like ever since the band disbanded, most of the members, or at least half of them, has, have been kind of busy just like working in journalism. <laughs> yeah. Nelson, apparently even before the band like blew up, uh, got a job uh, as a reporter for the Stranger newspaper in Seattle. And he just kind of like balanced his career in journalism with his career in the band like throughout the band's career i guess i wish i had looked through some sort of archive thing and, and dug and tried to yeah we should read we should have read some some of this dude's article yeah. but oh well that probably wouldn't have been super interesting podcasting slash it would have been cool to see what he was doing around the time of the release of the song oh yeah that, that would have been interesting anyway go look up sean nelson's uh articles on the stranger yeah go look up sean nelson's articles on the stranger they're there and now you know what's stranger than that? The cover section. Let's go. Right, what's up first? This cover. First cover is a synth pop cover featuring legendarily horrible band AWOL Nation. I'm not super familiar with their work, but I'll take your word on it. You've heard their song, Sail. Sail! I don't know if I have. That song. No. <laughs> yes, you have. I didn't recognize it from that. Horrible song. Never heard that song. Sail! Here is Elohim and AWOL Nation's cover of Flagpole Sitter. This is what music sounds like now. This doesn't feel right. I'm opposed to I mean, this. Okay, I guess, but like, it doesn't really do anything for me. No, I don't even think it's okay, I guess. I'm not yeah. even giving it that. Next, here's one that you'll like, all right? Take a, take a deep exhale because it's time for the ska version. Oh boy, happy Skocktober, everybody. <laughs> happy Skocktober. This is from volume one of Skatoon Network's Ska Goes Emo. Oh, that guy. This works very well. Thumbs up from me. Yeah, I mean, that guy generally does solid work, and like, this is a song that like lends itself pretty well to that kind of adaptation. I think. Yeah. Nice work. Uh, good job, dude. Uh, now it's time for the <laughs> the earnest, sad ballad version. Oh boy. By Broken Anchor. Never heard of him. Let's get emotional. 
adventure. Put this in your trailer. I had visions. I was in them. I was looking into the mirror. <laughs> to see a little bit clearer. Rotten is an evil in me. I don't know if I'm going to make it to the chorus of this one. Yeah, I don't like this one. I'm, I'm a little curious. I really don't like this though. Guy sucks. Climb up on the flagpole and see. And no, I'm not sick. Every version of this song that is serious is missing the point. I mean, I could see that showing up in like a Zach Braff movie or something. <laughs> sure. Uh, next up, new age version. Everyone, uh, open your third eyes, uh, rub your chakras on your forehead, and uh, find your center. Yeah. Go into Shavasana <laughs> and then take child's pose. <laughs> I do feel like I am achieving enlightenment here. <laughs> Bjork, is that you? This like immediately lost all of the goodwill that yeah. the introduction had bought from me. <laughs> it went to like this tough step. Feels like all of the bad ones you've played so far mixed into one. <laughs> but it had that dope intro. Which one that we listened to already had the dope intro? The intro was really cool, and I wish the rest of it sounded like it. What's next? Up next, we have interesting psychedelic string version. Let's hope it does what it says on the tin. Not immediately recognizable as the song that it's purportedly covering. Oh, here we go. Okay. Kind of cool. Hotel Oakland's cover of Flagpole Sitter. Kind of neat. I, I don't know about this one. Yeah? 
Yeah, I kind of like that one. I don't know. Now, if you didn't like that, you're going to love the shitty lounge version. Yes. Emphatically endorsed. Okay, not anymore. Who's this singer, though? <laughs> I like everyone's interpretations of the last lyric of the first line. Yeah, I don't know about that. I, I would have liked this better if it was an instrumental. Yeah, me too. Me too. This guy can't sing. <laughs> Sounds like a Muppet. And I'm so who is this? <laughs> this is the groovy sounds of the loungeleers, Trevor. Alright, alright, turn it off. <laughs> hey, I don't know if we want to do this now, but I, I gotta take you to task for the notes on this episode, buddy. I feel like you missed some, like, some stuff at the end. Can we talk about it real quick? What's that? Let's just say... say some important developments uh, since Harvey Danger disbanded. Uh, first item of two, item number one, uh, Sean Nelson put out a solo record in 2013. Okay. Uh, which was released by Jeff Rosenstock, an artist I like a lot. Oh! It's, it's in one of the articles that you linked in the notes that I've been scrolling through while you've been playing these covers. Stereo gum interview. Uh, item number two, the band's bassist, Aaron Huffman, he died. This one I knew. I just left this out of the notes because I thought it was a bummer. You got to talk about it even though it's sad. Yeah, he's dead, y'all. You're, you're going to brush the dude's death under the rug? That'd be like doing the uh, the <laughs> OMC episode without talking about Polly Fomana's death. I did just kind of just kind of backspace on that. I mean, like, it didn't seem, it didn't you know... seem important enough that one of the founding members of the band yeah. died. Do you want to do the notes next time? <laughs> do I got to do everything myself? Just play the next next cover. Rest in peace, Aaron Huffman. Yes, Dad. Here's some more of the important work I was doing. A cover from Punk Piano Covers Volume 3. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is the one that I'm pretty sure is just a downloaded MIDI of the entire song. Played on a default piano preset and uploaded to streaming services. Wow, this piano sounds punk as fuck. <laughs> Turn this off. Turn this off. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I Turn this off. I can't. <laughs> This cover, this next cover, better be really good. <laughs> now, here's a cover uh, by one of your favorite things in the world, an acapella group. Oh, jeez, it literally couldn't have been worse. Memories, my can't forget the curves of your body. 
All right. That's All right, enough. UNC. enough. <laughs> that's the UNC Accordance with Flagpole Sitta off their album High Stakes Old All Man. right. Well, let's. I, I think we need to do something to kind of end this episode on a good note. Yeah. Fortunately, we get to we get to do something pretty fun now. Flagpole Sitta was once included in one of Weird Al Yankovic's famous polka methods. Yes. Much like Beverly Hills, which uh, we talked about a couple episodes ago. Uh, and at the end of that discussion, we thought it would be fun to listen to the polka medley that included it and have you see if you could guess in real time which songs Weird Al was going to throw out. And I would love to do that again with you since we have the opportunity. Oh, come on, run it, man. I'm already hyped. Let's do it. So here is Weird Al Yankovic with polka power from his album running with scissors this was uh this came out in 1999 so three years after flagpole said it was a hit max let's let's see how you do on round two of i don't know weird al goes to hell whatever you want to call this segment <laughs> what's weird al gonna do next next hey! What's next? What do you think is next? Uh, 99? Yeah, the year was 1999. 99, Eminem. Eminem's doing big stuff. Eminem's doing big stuff. Ooh, no. Ghetto Superstar. Who is this by? Ja Rule? No, this is an ODB song. What's next, though? Hurry. In sync? So close, it's the Backstreet Boys. Oh, damn it. Uh, okay, fingers pulsing, fingers on the pulse. God, I gotta listen, I gotta focus. Go. Oh, God damn it, you missed it, me. but it's Smash Mouth. I'm trying to think. Fuck. What was big? BC Boys were big, weren't they? I don't know. Wow! You did it. I felt it. I felt it in my soul. I knew it. There you go. I don't know what could be next, though. I'm trying to think of what else. I get knocked down. Chumbawamba, a band we've talked about. Oh, my God, we're already here. Shit. Dude, he's rolling through him. Fuck, what else was big in 99? The boy bands have won. Oh, God. He's quicker than a ray of light. Fucking killed me on what this song. What song is this? This is Madonna. Okay, what's next though? Fuck. Uh, I wanna push you down. Well, I will. Well, I will. I wanna take you for granted. I don't know what song this is, but I I know those lyrics. I don't know what this song is either. <laughs> oh my God! So much on life. Jeez. You gotta get back to guessing Dude, now. I'm falling way behind. I don't even know what else like. I'm I'm so not well versed in the '90s here. Maybe maybe you're not a true '90s kid after all, Max. Holy shit, dude! I'm not I'm not a '90s kid. I'm born in '96. I'm faking it. I've always been faking it. Who is this? This is Marilyn Manson. Okay. Nine Inch Nails. No. Manson. God damn it. It's always when I have a guest that he likes to blindside me with a one-hit wonder. What? More one-hit wonders? Who's that casting? Devious stares in my direction. 
Blur? You think he's gonna go into woohoo? Yeah, that'd be that'd be sick. Yeah, mama, this surely is closing time. More one-hit wonders? Semisonic. For those playing along at home, that was Sex and Candy by Marcy Playground and then Closing Time by Semisonic. So that is a triplicate of one-hit wonders from Weird Al. Jesus Christ. The trifecta. Weird Al is mad with power. Maybe he should host this show. I think that I've just been kicked off as host of the show and replaced by the ghost of Weird Al. He made you a better job of putting the notes together than another host that currently runs it. Ugh. Fuck. But that's just one co-host's opinion. Weird Al whipped my ass again. Good night, everybody. No, I'm just kidding. We still gotta wrap up the episode. Man, what's what's, this, what's the official total now? Like Weird Al thirty, Maxton four, two. You, I'm impressed that you got one at least. That's that matches your record on the previous one we tried. If I yeah, if I can at least get one every time that I then I you know kind of think sometimes I might know what Weird Al's gonna do next, but usually I don't. He's he's a hard one to pin down that Weird Al. I know what we're gonna do next. What are we gonna do next? Are we gonna wrap up the episode? We're gonna wrap up the episode and go through our attributes. Welcome to the outro. You you know what we like to do at the end of every episode, uh, every every single fucking one. You know what we like to do, Trevor? Do you remember it? What, is, what do we like to do, Max? Then at the end of every goddamn episode of the show. <laughs> been a while since we did it but uh at the end of every episode of one hit wonders of the world we like to make attributes for the song that we just talked about and rate the attributes on any scale that we desired only one scale per episode per song just keep it a one please just one just one just one it's the number that's in the title of the show one hit wonder is one attribute per episode let's try and keep it consistent you want to you want to just go ahead and say yours should i be are, are your attributes gonna be crazy like they were last time i'm gonna have to like bring in the u.s army for this one or can i like chill no i i i kind of took it to chill okay. this time but I, i'm interested in seeing what you've got cooking up okay um i'm pretty happy with these i did come up with them 10 minutes before we started recording the episode but i'm still pretty happy with them i used the first idea that popped in my head so i'm gonna be interested to see if we have the same thing <laughs> i don't think we have the same thing Welcome to the Harvey Danger Zone, a scale from 1 to 100, 1 being the least dangerous and 100 being the most dangerous. We're going to rank concepts mentioned in the song on a, on a Harvey Danger Zone scale. Cool. This is super different than mine. Awesome. Awesome. I'm going to name some lyrics from the song, and then I'm going to name the concept that it invokes, and we're going to rate it on a scale of 1 to 100 as far as how dangerous it is. Really different than what I've got cool. on my side. Cool. Uh, so I had visions. I was in them. I was looking into the mirror. Visions. Visions of yourself. I'm going to put that at a five. I think you could get some maybe kind of dangerous, you know, bits of self-reflection. But most of the danger that's coming from that is sort of within yourself and just sort of limited to your mental. You know, there's no kind of outside forces pushing in on you. You're pretty safe at that point. Uh, hey, but aren't we all our own worst enemies? I think Lit said that. That, I think he did say Mr. that. Mr. Lit, the one guy who recorded that song. <laughs> Fingertips have memories. Mine can't forget the curves of your body. Uh, Are you going to do every lyric in the song? No, surprisingly not. Okay. Uh, okay. So th this is this is a concept known as lust. Some people are familiar with this. I'm not. The number of danger that I think this concept brings is 69 danger points. Nice. I think it, nice, right? I think it's pretty dangerous. Lust. I think, I think, I think you've got to be careful. I think you gotta be conscientious, and that's just the seeds. Think you gotta think, you know. I think you gotta move on to your next attribute, buddy. Been around the world and found that only stupid people are breathing superiority. 
33% dangerous. I think that, uh, you know, you're mostly a threat to uh, yourself, you know, when you're uh, being, having a superiority uh, bout. You know, you're kind of like, hey, I'm better than everyone else. And everyone else is like, ooh, I don't want to be around you. So, you know, it's a little dangerous for your social life. Maybe not uh, that dangerous. You've got big, like, high, high school guidance counselor energy going on right now. <laughs> Kids, let's talk about the concept of superiority. <laughs> All right, well, I'm totally about to lose that with the rest of these. They cut off my legs. Now I'm an amputee. This is hospital sabotage. That is 75% dangerous. You only want people you know in the hospital with you signing your release forms. Don't bring your enemies to the hospital. Important lessons we can all learn from Harvey Danger. Words of wisdom from Maxton Stenstrom. Don't bring your enemies with you to the hospital. I want to publish zines. Me too. Two. That's pretty, you know, no one's going to, you might get a paper cut. I want to rage against machines. 10, you know, it's, it's like you, you might be, you might, uh, you know, you, you know, piss off the neighbors. You might, uh, you know, make a, make a boomer angry with your, uh, with your rebellious music choices. This is way funnier than the big elaborate thing that I did last episode. <laughs> somehow I only have two more. Only two. I want to pierce my tongue. It doesn't hurt. It feels fine. 45. I think that he's lying. I don't trust him. I've never got my tongue pierced, but you know, you, you're at risk for all sorts of uh, STDs. Hey man, even if that doesn't hurt, it could still get infected. That's right, you man. You gotta take care of that. You could, uh, you, you could get gangrene on your tongue. Next thing you know, bam, no tongue, dude. What, what the fuck are you gonna do with that? You won't taste shit. You're gonna be drinking through a straw for the rest of your life. Why would you want that, you know? And now, uh, turn off time, kill my mind. 99. One of the most dangerous things you can do is to turn off time and kill your mind, though we all do it from time to time. Get lost in that world and be a little too much. So kids, remember, do drugs in moderation. Don't not do drugs. Do some drugs. Do some drugs so you know what it's like. But make sure you come back to reality, okay? Make sure you work at a job. Wait till you're wait till you're like 24 years old before you do any drugs. If you're a kid and you're listening to this, yeah, that's like a pretty good length of time to wait. That's how old I am, and I would, and that's why I'm saying it now. Do drugs. So you could take him for an example of what yeah. happens to you if you do drugs before you wait till you're 24. You don't want to end up like that, right? Yeah, guys, I'm doing great. Thanks for coming to the Harvey Danger Zone. What you got cooking up for us, Trevor? Well, I thought it would be fun if I took different elements of the song and uh, told you how dangerous they were. That's pretty, it's pretty cool. Similar, but different. Similar, but different. I think it's very different than what you did. Let's see. I think it's a completely radically different concept. Okay. Okay. (laughs) First up, we've got uh, Evan Salt's Unmistakable snare drum intro uh, that's about as dangerous as uh riding a motorcycle without a helmet <laughs> sure oh sure oh totally it's pretty dangerous and then uh the song's sardonic and often hilarious lyrics they're about as dangerous as carrying a large priceless vase or vase down a staircase that has been littered with banana peels or Voss. We didn't talk about this, but the moment when one of the dudes yells one, two, three, four before the instrumental outro of the song, maybe my favorite part of the track. I give the one, two, three, and four moment. Uh, I think that's as dangerous as hopping up and down on a pogo stick beneath the rapidly spinning <laughs> blades of a grounded helicopter. Finally, uh, the rottenness and evil in me. That's about as dangerous as swimming in a pool full of live sharks after you've just had both your legs amputated. <laughs> 
Nice. Very good. Loved your attributes. A round of applause for Trevor, ladies and gentlemen. We love him. We thank that he's here. And we thank you that you're here. Thank you so much. Welcome back to One Hit Wonders of the World. I'm going to try to do this more often and not uh, once a year. Do we say that at the end of every episode? <laughs> no. No, I don't. Last time I said, let's get these dogs out of here. <laughs> that is true. That's what we said last time. But Maxton, where can people find us on the internet? If you would like to find us anywhere on the internet besides where you have currently just spent an hour or so listening to us, Spotify, Apple Music, at all, uh, you could find us on Twitter, where our handle is at One Hit Wondercast with the numeral one out front. You could send impassioned emails or audio recordings at One Hit Wondercast, all spelled out, at gmail.com for a chance to be featured on the show. I will mention a 100% chance. Email me. <laughs> and finally, this is new. This is brand new. Uh, I, I, I bought this after we recorded the episode and before I put it out. OneHitWondersOfTheWorld.com, baby. All one word, all spelled out. OneHitWondersOfTheWorld.com. I fucking We're up there. bought it. We've got it. We've got. I've got links. You know, it's, pro- it's probably not that crazy. You know, it might even just be a mirror of our Libsyn page where I post new episodes and then nothing else happens. But you know what? Who gives a shit? One hit wonders of the world.com. That's so easy. Go there and you got links to all that stuff. I was just telling you about Twitter, uh, email and etc. Other Maxton, what better inspiration do you need to do this show more frequently than the fact that you now own the official one hit wonders of the world.com website? The next episode, the 15th episode of our podcast, which is going to be on the song in the year 2525, if man is still alive. If woman can survive, they may find. In the year 2525, by Sager and Evans. I don't think I've ever heard this one before. Yeah, I don't think that you have. It's, this song is from 1968. It is a psychedelic folk rock song. We're going to have a fun guest on, talk about... All sorts of uh, all sorts of time travel shit. What? Yeah, man, all sorts of time travel shit. It's gonna be on the next episode. We got a time travel expert coming on. Okay, I guess we'll just leave it till that episode to unpack what you just said. Uh, hopefully, we won't be in the year 2021 <laughs> when you hear that episode. But until whenever the fuck that may be. I've been Maxton Stenstrom. I've been Trevor Graff. And until next time, stay If man is still alive, if woman can survive, they may